Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm happy to be speaking with Father Dwight Longenecker. I've followed him for a long time on social media and some of his writings as he's posted them throughout the years. He's a former evangelical and studied at Oxford and served as a priest in the Church of England before he and his family were received into the Catholic Church. He is the author of over 20 books and booklets on Catholic faith and culture, as well as thousands of articles for various magazines, journals, and websites. He is a popular conference speaker, podcaster, and blogger. And today I'll be speaking with him about his latest book, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness, available from Sophia Institute Press. So welcome to the show, Father Dwight Longenecker. So we're talking about your book today, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness. And of course, I think what comes to mind, especially even with the cover of the book, is the idea of the cross, that there you have Jesus's hand nailed to the cross as the central image of the book cover. And I guess maybe... Could we talk a little bit about the sin of the world and how Jesus needs to come to confront the sin and the darkness of the world so that he becomes the light of the world shining in the heart of darkness? Yes, um, I, I wrote the book because I think there's a, a question in our modern society, which is a very, very good question, and that is um, people who are non-believers, people who are um, you know, perhaps unfamiliar with the faith at all, might hear Christians use terminology like... Um, Jesus died to save you from your sins, uh, or when they go to the Catholic Church, they hold the Lamb of God and takes away the sins of the world. And I think people would quite rightly say, well, hang on here, what, what does that mean? How, how does the death of a revolutionary 2,000 years ago take away the naughty things I've done? Um, and it's a good question, because uh, I think a lot of Christians use that language and never really think about what it means for someone who doesn't have a, a, a Christian or a Catholic education. And then if they go to the Catholic Church and they go to Mass, they will hear the priest say, um, this victim is an accurate victim, and talk about the sacrifice, brothers and sisters, my, my sacrifice and yours, and so forth. The sacrificial language is all through the Mass. And, um, again, a non-believer might well say, oh, hang on here, we're talking about animal sacrifice or even human sacrifice. Well, we're modern people, we don't do that. Well, what is this all about? Uh, and so... Um, I've tried to answer, first of all, the answer this question by, first of all, talking about what is the sin of the world. Uh, and the sin of the world is not just the naughty things we've done. Um, the sin of the world is a, a deep network of, of deceitfulness and, and lies which are riddled and woven right through uh, all, of, all of human society and, and human hearts. So uh, this is what the, the, the first half of the book is about and then explains why the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ was the only thing that could actually break that, that wicked spell. When we think about sin, you know, I deal with this as a priest, and you deal with it as a priest, but I think that there, there are a lot of people out there who aren't even aware of the sins of their life, that there isn't this consciousness of sinfulness in their own life, that a lot of times people say, well, I don't really have that many sins. So how can we help people to realize that, yes, we sin almost on a daily basis? How can we better form the consciences of our people? Well, yes, and what, what I'm trying to get at here is that the sins that we do, the outward things that we do wrong or the things we neglect to do, these are the symptoms or the outward signs of a much deeper illness. Uh, and this uh, deeper illness has been uh, downplayed by our society and by the Church, I should say, over the, over the last 50 or 60 years. 
um, so that people are saying, oh, these are just things, mistakes you made. This, this is an error. You're just being human. Um, don't worry about it too much. Well, actually, my book shows that, uh, you know, why would Jesus die for a little mistake that you made? You know, uh, and so my, my, my book is trying to say, no, there's a deeper level of deceitfulness and lies uh, and uh, wickedness right at the, at the core of humanity. And it, the reason it's so bad is, is that we're blind to it. Most of us can't see it. Uh, and so it's this deeper level uh, of, um, of deceitfulness and lies and, and uh, selfishness which, and pride, which is at the root of it all. Uh, so, yeah, to, to sharpen people's consciences, we need to go deep and, and look at, the, at the, uh, the deepest levels of these things. Yeah, I know as we celebrate Mass day in and day out, uh, at the very beginning we say, pray, or we say, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. And we pause, and, and sometimes the priest doesn't pause long enough or the deacon will interrupt and kind of go right into the penitential rite. But I really think there needs to be a pause there to say, well, what is it that I need to confess right now? How have I sinned? And as we say in the confidior, in my thoughts and my words and what I've done and in what I have failed to do. So that's right there at the Mass, and, and the Mass is um, Calvary, and the Mass is, as you mentioned so many times in there, we say, um, forgive us our sins. We say say that in the Our Father. We say that in the prayer between the Our Father, in the Lamb of God, and so forth. Uh, how can the Mass then help us maybe battle the sins of our life? So I, I'm thinking of people that might be addicted to a certain sin, and maybe through prayer, through the Mass, through other devotions, that they're able to confront that sin in their life. So what is the power of the Mass in, in relationship to overcoming personal sins? It's, first of all, being able to understand why Jesus, Jesus died and how his death actually defeats this deep level of evil that I talk about in the book. And once we get grasp that and see that he broke uh, the back of evil, he burst it from the inside at the cross, we then realize that, uh, again, how the Mass is a, uh, a representation of the, the once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord on the cross. It's bringing the, the reality of the cross and the victory of the cross into the present moment uh, and participating in that. Now, when I say participating, it's not just saying the prayers and singing the hymns. Um, it's actually a very deep uh, heart-to-heart mystical participation uh, in the Mass and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ at the very deepest level. And really, I think that what we're getting at is this spiritual evil, the what we often call spiritual warfare, that there are these battles between good and evil in our life. And I think that we uh, can call to mind maybe from our own childhood those instances of, you know, maybe on a cartoon there's the angel and the devil, and so the angel is trying to convince you to do the good thing, and the devil is trying to convince you to do the bad thing. So, so there is this battle between good and evil that happens. What are some tools then? I know that you've written on spiritual warfare. You wrote a book, uh, The Rosary and Spiritual Warfare. Uh, what are some of the tools that we can use then to confront the, the evil battles that we face in our life? Well, what, I, what I'm trying to communicate in the book is, that, uh, is to give people a new perspective on all the Catholic stuff we're already doing. So uh, everything from uh, the rosary and to attending Mass and saying our prayers, but also the social action that we do, the, so, the sacrifices that we make, the suffering that we go through, uh, everything is actually... Uh, meant to be a, a living out of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul said, I, I die daily, I am crucified with Christ, we preach Christ crucified, 
Um, and our Lord said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And so to be able to see that all of these things are uh, ways that we are living out the cross in the world is an important understanding of why we do them. It's not to, We don't just do them because they're nice things to do or because the Church tells us to, to do them. They are the way that the body of Christ, each one of us uh, in the body of Christ, continues to do to offer Christ's sacrifice in a needy world to break the power of evil. So when we see this centrality of the cross and why the cross is so important, then that reality begins to um, change our perspective on all these things that we're doing. Um, and so uh, it's it's just you know clear that the, the crucifix is placed centrally in our crucifixes, and the mass is a representation of, of the cross. And so the, the book, and that's why, you know, as you said, there's the the crucified hand on the cover of the book, to be able to hammer home again and say this is the cross is central to our faith. And along with downplaying sin uh, over the last 50 or 60 years, the cross has been quietly sort of moved to one side in a lot of Christian churches and in a lot of Catholic life. Um, it's sort of been sidelined because a lot of priests and, and pastors and theologians uh, are don't know what to do with the cross. And they've turned it into maybe a symbol of martyrdom, or the symbol of laying down your life for the person you love. All of that's true, but it's actually, the cross is much more important and much more uh, cosmic and and, uh, and and historical in its effect. Yeah, it's a sign of victory that sin no longer has power over us, that death has been defeated, especially as the cross leads to the tomb, and these are all reminders to us in our spiritual life. Now, uh, when we talk about evil, everyday evil, I think that we can think of some of the greater evils in the world right now. We think of abortion, or um, even today there's this this rampant talk about racism, and so that's an evil. And what are some of the other less, maybe, I don't know if lesser evils is, is the right word, but smaller evils that we face in our daily life? We always think of the big ones, but what are some of the ones that maybe are the daily evils that we might encounter? I think what I'm trying to get at here is that the things that we see that are evil in, in, in our world, the, the sins that we see that in our own lives and in other people's lives, these are the fruit, the outward signs of something which is far deeper and far more insidious. And so um, I, I dig down and look at, for instance, the roots of pride. Pride is not uh, the outward signs of pride, like arrogance or boasting or vanity uh, or showing off. The, 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 these things, the, just the outward signs of pride, pride at its root level is the assumption, the ground-level basic assumption that I'm right, I'm always right, I'm never wrong. Uh, and this assumption that I'm right, uh, therefore, if I disagree with someone, they must be wrong. And if I'm right, I'm good, and if they're wrong, they're bad. And if I'm right and good, I must get rid of the bad things in the world. So, um, you know, it's this, this is the kind of level which then operates, and we lie to ourselves about that, and we create false images for ourselves, um, and I'm trying to get down to the root level here of really looking at this web of deception that's that's present in our lives and in our world. Um, so I, I, I warn people at the beginning of this book, you know, be be warned. This this book is going to shake you up. Um, it, it's going to if you read it carefully and read it thoroughly, uh, it's going to make you reassess everything. So uh, I really think it's that kind of a book. And a lot of people who've read it have said that that that's true. It's really. Um, uh, it's been life-changing for them. 
one of the things that you do in the book is you bring out a lot of different images and you have recourse to different literary references. So uh, you have, for example, uh, Medusa and her sisters. You have a little bit about the Lord of the Rings in one of the chapters. And how can we see the the culture informing, you know, we talk about kind of the, the negativity of culture, but now here we are using these different cultural influences and saying, well, we can bring this into this conversation uh, as we're talking about sin and death and the cross and victory and overcoming evil. Well, I, I deliberately use a lot of uh, images from mythology and literature and popular culture and films um, because I'm aware that uh, a lot of the people we're talking to are are familiar with religious language, uh, and they're put off by religious language, uh, and also because uh, in using these images, uh, we're opening up the imagination, and the imagination is the portal to the heart. Uh, so I've tried really hard to write a book which is not um, overly theological or intellectual in its analysis, but re- uses um, sharp language, strong language, and strong imagery um, to really get people to look at these things from a fresh perspective and and for their, their imagination, their heart to be open, uh, so that it it really has an impact. Uh, and so this is not just an attempt to be trendy or to, to connect with popular culture so people are entertained or, or uh, inter- stay interested in the book. Uh, it's actually got a deeper reason uh, to use this imagery for uh, to get to the deepest places of our human heart. Of course, one of the things that we've been talking about uh, as we discuss your book, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness, from Sophia Institute Press, has been about the power of the Mass and the liturgy and the sacrifice of the Mass, Christ being the victim, all of these things. Of course, that's the one of the sacraments. We're talking about the Eucharist and the celebration of the Eucharist. And even as we think of confronting evil in our life and overcoming sin in our life, uh, thinking of mortal sin especially, that the Eucharist is a way that that we are enticed really to leave behind a life of sin so that we might always worthily receive Holy Communion and not have to refrain from it. I think that there's, of course, we should talk about the other aspect of, of the sacraments, and that would be um, the healing sacraments, especially that of penance, of reconciliation. And, and when we confront the evil in our life, it's kind of acknowledging that, well, these are the sins, and now I bring them to God, and He forgives me. And so, well, how do you see the role of confession playing into this immortal combat that you propose? Well, again, going back to the cross, every one of the seven sacraments are a unique sharing in the cross of Christ, a unique participation in the cross of Christ. Uh, and so, therefore, when we go... For instance, at baptism, we say the person is uh, plunged into the death and resurrection of our Lord. At, at the Mass, we receive the body and blood of the crucified Lord. Uh, at confession, we are receiving the victory of the cross uh, applied personally to our our needs. So, again, viewing everything through the, through the lens of the cross, we can begin to see the power that is unleashed um, in each one of the different sacraments. And uh, and this applies... and, and to, you know, to, to, to marriage and to ordination and to all seven sacraments, but in confession, um, the individual therefore comes face to face with uh, the crucified Lord and realizes the victory over evil and applied to their own lives. This is why um, uh, there should be a crucifix present in every confessional, because it's a reminder of, of that you're there at the foot of the cross. You're, you're, the foot of the cross that you, is 
is, is where you kneel, because that is where your victory has been won. When we think of the cross and the crucifixion scene, especially from John's Gospel, and this is a podcast about Mary and really promoting Marian devotion, we'll get to that in just a few seconds uh, with the rapid-fire questions about your own Marian devotion and its uniqueness, but when we call to mind the crucifixion scene, and we've seen images of it, I am a priest of the Diocese of Green Bay, and in our cathedral, at the very front of church, the large mural is that of the crucifixion scene. And we know from John's Gospel that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and John, the beloved disciple, and Mary Magdalene. And uh, I'd like to maybe just mention and see your thoughts about the role of Our Lady uh, at the cross and the role of Our Lady in confronting these moral evils in our world. One of the things I do in the book is um, show how God's plan of salvation was working in uh, Satan's territory here in, in this world, and that he came into the world in a secret way um, in order to be kind of like a secret agent in, in, in enemy territory. And that the first foothold that God had to do that um, in the Incarnation was through uh, the one I call the Little Lady, that he comes in in a very small way uh, into uh, and working with uh, a peasant girl from a, a tiny little farm village uh, in the back of beyond. And that's the way God comes into the world. And the, the blessing of this uh, gift, therefore, is always one of humility and smallness and always as a channel for her son. And, and therefore, again, Mary uh, ultimately takes us to the foot of the cross to behold the sacrifice of her son. And it is this role that she plays um, which helps us to participate, therefore, in this great mystery. Well, we've been talking to Father Dwight Longenecker about his book, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness, from Sophia Institute Press, and really the centrality of the cross as we confront evil uh, in our world, as we uh, think of the sins of the world that we mention at the celebration of the Mass. And uh, Mary is one without sin, and she is one to whom so many are devoted. And, of course, as a priest, I, I know that you're devoted to Mary and that the Rosary uh, played an important role in that. And I'd like to maybe just close today with a few different questions that I ask all the guests about their Marian devotion. And so the very first question is, uh, since Mary is a woman of many names and titles, what would be one of your favorite titles of Mary or a title of Mary that you're invoking right now in your own personal prayer? Uh, I have a special devotion to Our Lady of Walsingham because Walsingham was the uh, premier shrine uh, to the Blessed Mother in the Middle Ages in England. I spent 25 years of my life in England. Um, and uh, Walsingham was the lords of its day. I mean, it was huge. Uh, and it's, it's a little village in um, in England, in Norfolk, in England, and uh, Our Lady Walsingham, the image of Our Lady Walsingham, is a, an ancient and beautiful image, uh, and therefore uh, England is called Our Lady's Dowry, uh, and so my time in England uh, gives me this special devotion to Our Lady Walsingham. There are lots of different sacramentals that Catholics make use of, some that they wear, some they carry on their person. Do you have a favorite Marian sacramental? Um, probably the Miraculous Medal. Um, I did led a pilgrimage to France last fall with some pilgrims uh, and was uh, privileged to be able to celebrate Mass at the, the chapel of Rue de Bath, um, where um, the, the, vision, the, the vision, the apparition of, of the Blessed Mother came uh, and uh, to St. Catherine Laboré, so probably the Miraculous Medal. 
There are lots of Marian prayers, the most popular, of course, being the Hail Mary, the first half coming from the sacred scriptures, the greeting of the angel, that of Elizabeth. But there are other many Marian prayers out there that people know and that they pray. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer? Well, uh, yes, it's the Salve Regina, um, which I've spent a lot of time in Benedictine monasteries, and uh, as an Anglican, I was first introduced to this when you went to visit um, the monastery of Mont Saint Michel in, in France and make my retreat there with the Catholic community. And after Compline, um, they would sing Salve Regina with the beautiful chant Salve Regina. Uh, and uh, this has become a you know a favorite of mine, uh, especially at Compline when the monks will turn the lights out and light the candle before the image of the Blessed Mother. It's a very intimate and a, and a beautiful moment. The rosary is one of the most common forms of Marian devotion prayed by so many, and yet so many people find it difficult to pray the rosary. They find it monotonous or repetitive. They don't know if they really engage the prayer like they're supposed to. Do you have a rosary tip that you could offer people? Yeah, um, my, my book, Praying the Rosary for Inner Healing, is a way to pray the rosary in a, with a, a new approach which takes us through the different stages of life and applies the mysteries to our own lives. And uh, this is a book which continues to be reprinted and translated um, and has helped thousands of people now around the world. So, um, yeah, if I don't have a way of helping people pray the rosary in a new way. It's, it's uh, expressed in my book, Praying the Rosary for, for Inner Healing. Mary is found in the pages of sacred scripture. She says a few different words and prays the Magnificat. Do you have a favorite Marian reference in sacred scripture? Yeah, I think it's actually um, at the story of the visitation when St. Elizabeth says to the Blessed Mother, who am I that the Mother of my Lord should come to me? Uh, And it is in that little phrase that we have the basis for the belief that Mary is Mary, the the first and greatest title for the the Blessed Mother is Mary, Mother of God, uh, which goes right back to the earliest days of the Church um, when the Council of the Church declared that she was Theotokos, the Mother of God, and that title is therefore rooted in Scripture when um, St. Elizabeth says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And when she says, My Lord, she's using the word for God. So she calls Mary, at that point, Mary, Mary Mother of God. There are lots of different apparitions of Our Lady throughout the world. And is there a Marian apparition that you are fond of, been to, devoted to? Uh, any favorite Marian apparition of yours? Well, uh, I know that it's controversial, but it's going to be Medjugorje. Uh, I, I went to Medjugorje when I was uh, an Anglican priest with a, um, a, an Anglican and, and, and Catholic um, shared pilgrimage. Uh, this was when the visionaries were still young teenagers, uh, and it was a real life changer. So it's got to be Medjugorje for me. And then there are lots of different shrines to the Blessed Mother, and maybe Our Lady of Walsingham will be your favorite Marian shrine, but there are lots of these different shrines to titles of Mary. So just where I'm from in Wisconsin, there's a shrine to Mary, Help of Christians, to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and so forth. Do you have a favorite Marian shrine that you've been to? Well, yes, it would would have to be um, Walsingham, but... I, I guess I can also add the shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., because uh, I, although I spent 25 years in England, I'm an American, and uh, I came back to, to, to be a, a Catholic priest here in America in um, 2006. Uh, and so let's add uh, the shrine to the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. to that. There are lots of books about the Blessed Mother that have been written throughout the centuries. 
Uh, is there a Marian book that you would like to recommend? Yeah, it's an obscure book. Uh, and as a former Anglican, uh, it was written by an Anglican theologian. It's called Mary for All Christians. Uh, it's written for um, by, by an Anglican theologian, John Macquarie. And it's actually really good because um, he strives really hard to um, uh, describe the Marian devotions and the Marian uh, dogmas and the Marian doc- doctrines from a point of view uh, which is acceptable to other other Christians. And um, it's not 100%, but it's, it's a really interesting and an unusual take on, on, the, on Mary and, and the, what we believe about her. Okay, and lastly, when we celebrate Mass for a Marian feast day, like the Assumption or Mary Mother of God or the Immaculate Conception, is there a Marian song that you always hope your choir will sing? <laughs> Um, well, it depends on it depends on on the feast, I suppose. But uh, the one that I really love is the the um, the, the song about the uh, Annunciation, uh, which goes um, uh, the angel Gabriel the from angel, heaven the, came. The angel, yes, the angel Gabriel from heaven came. And the reason I love it is because when we went on um, uh, pilgrimage to the Holy Land, some uh, one of the families from my church came, and all the girls in the family, the five girls in the family, they make up a little choir. And the girls actually sang that um, a cappella when we celebrated Mass at the Basilica of the Annunciation in Nazareth. So this is a real precious memory for me, that there at the site of the Annunciation itself, um, these girls sang, The angel Gabriel to Mary came. And so it's a, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, well, I hope that somebody recorded that, because that would be a very beautiful moment to continue to relive and to experience, to actually, you know, be in the very place that this is the place where the Word became flesh, and to hear that song there. Well, thank you so much, Father, for being with me today on the podcast, How They Love Mary. If people want to learn more about you and your writings and find you on the Internet, how can they do that? It's real easy. Just go to DwightLongenecker.com. And they can uh, follow my blog, browse my books, listen to my podcasts, uh, and be in touch. So um, I invite them to do that and and check out my books, too. Okay? Yes, and they can always find you on social media as well, where I follow you on Twitter. So thank you so much for being a guest today. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so others might find it too. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.